0: I grew up in a family that was always in church whenever the doors were open. My dad was an elder, he wasn't a pastor, but we always had to be there for church. And that was at church, but at home uh, there was verbal abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. um, Hitting, um, get hit with a bell, all sorts of serious abuse, and it actually goes for four generations. The thing about abuse and shame is when you experience abuse over a long period of time, you eventually believe that you deserve that treatment. Which is why people can can continue it and then end up in relationships where um, they continue to be hit or hit other people. So, in August of this past summer, I was sitting in a time of stillness with the Lord. And I said, Father, is there anything in particular that you would like to remove in my life to increase capacity for more of you? And the reason I asked that question is because I have a number of phrases that I pray and I have prayed over the years and increase the capacity of my heart is one of them. I didn't know when I first started praying it was that when you actually ask the Father that, he doesn't just make your heart bigger and things go merry and Along, he actually will remove things from your heart. So I just thought I'd cut to the chase and say, is there anything you've got to remove from my life? His response was, yes, it's time to go after the shame. And as soon as I heard him say that, I immediately felt anxiety, overwhelmed, uh, fearful. I thought, oh, I guess you really <coughs> the head there, Father and so since august i have been going after this i've read lots of books as you know as ron was saying i've read lots of books i've talked to rob and have giving him suggestions who you say it's good to read on this and all this kind of stuff and so i in some ways i don't feel like i'm further on on the other side of it enough to be able to speak about it and yet the father says no you're exactly where you need to be to speak about it because Two of the subtleties of shame is that it loves to silence. Mm -hmm. And you keep those shameful ways secret Mm -hmm. and silent. And so the Lord says, I want you to stand in who you are and testify about me because this is about me. And so I just want you to be faithful to tell what you've learned and what I've done in your life. So that's what I'm going to offer you this afternoon. My, uh, Rob calls it giving God access. My pastor calls it aligning with the Lord. And I call it saying yes. <clears throat> saying yes, Lord. You see, when Ron and I got married, we had decided when we were still engaged that we would never use the threat of divorce in our arguing or mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Murder, maybe,
0: but no, divorce. <laughs> 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 but by taking that threat of divorce off the table, the threat of abandonment, threat of rejection, of leaving you, it actually only left one option that we would work it out. See, I believe the same thing is true in our relationship with a warren. Years ago, I, my motto of my life when I was in college is whatever it takes. Lord, whatever it takes, I want to do that for you. Follow you, obey you, serve you. You, I want to be faithful in that. And so He said, "All right, want to say yes to me?" And so if I determine ahead of time, when th- when there's no issue on the table, when there's nothing difficult, mm-hmm. that I will say yes, Lord. When He does, then bring something up, mm-hmm. and my tendency might want to be, "Oh, let me think about that for a while. I'll get back to you." I've already determined in my heart and my will. That I will say yes to him. And so when he brings it up, he wants us to step into those moments. I believe for some of you, God has been stirring in areas of your life, and perhaps it's fear of what Rob was talking about or has talked about this sometime this week. Maybe it is shame, maybe it's bitterness, forgiveness, whatever the things even Ron and I are going to talk about the rest of this week. God is giving you opportunity to say yes to him ahead of time so that he can bring the freedom that you long for. You see, we all long to be free and therefore bring other people into it. But as leaders, we will and have to go there ourselves first. And if we only do it with the head knowledge, people can tell when we're talking, you have figured out a nice theoretical approach to this, but it doesn't seem true in life. And people need to hear our stories of struggle and hear our stories that in some ways seem secret and shameful. And yet, they bring glory to our God who has taken the thorns of shame and turned them into trophies of grace. So let's look now at, at, um, at shame and kind of go after it here. You see, God's intention is that mankind would experience intimacy and community like the Trinity. And with God, with God and others. I mean, that's not moving with mine. In good Dei, we're made in the image of God to reflect the glory of the Lord. He made us first and foremost for intimacy. I'm not sure if you're aware of that because we think He was he made us to work for him. He made us to use this us for his glory, and He doesn't. anyone used doesn't feel loved. He made us for love, and because we love him, now we work with him. So we primarily were made for intimacy and harmony to reflect his glory. But see, shame's evil intention is to dismantle our identity and destroy us as individuals and in community. And oftentimes, it's the focus on self and the self's failure and evaluation of the failure that leads to shame. You see, there's four common characteristics of shame that we need to be aware of. The first is it always carries with it a desire to hide. There's always a desire to hide. Number two is an intense pain or discomfort or anger that comes with it when shame comes. The third thing are feelings of worthlessness or being no good. The fourth is a disruption of ongoing activity resulting in confusion and an inability to think clearly, to even talk or act. You see, shame is a very slimy little sneaky guy that can blindside us at the most unexpected times and we can go for a few days in a funk not even recognizing that it was shame that hit us. And that's why I believe more and more the Lord is is wanting us to be aware of what it's like and how it affects us, because it very much is a part of that. When Rob asked us to do the um, exercise just a little bit ago, I said, Lord, is there anything you wanna bring up? and immediately a memory came, my first memory ever is when I was three years old. My family used to go to Orchard Beach every year in front of We would go to Orchard Beach every summer and I didn't realize it, but we always put our blanket by these rocks that were by the water and that meant if you ever got washed down by the tide, you always looked for the rocks, came back, looked up on the beach and looked for the umbrella. Well, I was three. I didn't catch that I guess somewhere along the line. So this one day I was playing in the waves and and it it was a very crowded beach and I look up and I can't find the umbrella and I started heading toward the pier which was probably a mile away. Well finally by the time I got to the pier I thought I know this is way too far and so I I started to cry and a woman came up to me and I must have told her I was lost or whatever, and she just stayed with me by a picnic table until my parents came looking for me. It seemed like an eternity, but finally my parents came up the beach and found me. When I saw them coming, I was so excited, and instead of being greeted with, oh, Wanda, there you are, and hugging me and loving me, instead, I got an angry scowl. And a disgusted look. You know better than that. You're supposed to be by the rocks. And immediately I was filled with shame and filled with the thought of, I need to do better. And three, that was my response. I need to do better. Because shame wants to hide. Shame wants to control. Shame wants to keep things hidden and not have to deal with the awful feeling that I am bad. You see, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt that you do something wrong, but shame is the feeling that you are wrong or you are bad. You are worthless. You are inferior. And it's very, very painful. Shame is actively, intentionally at work both within and between individuals to dis- disintegrate every relationship every system, personal story, family, marriage, friendship, church, school, business, or political system. And in that, as a result, its power lies in its subtlety and silence. See, the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And like every predator, even in the animal kingdom, he will watch the herd and wait for the stragglers wait for those who are dilly-dallying and not paying attention, and at the right moment, gets them separated, and then comes in for the kill. That's what the enemy does with shame in our life, to come and separate us, isolate us, so that we will hide, we will be quiet, and we will not deal with what needs to be dealt with in our lives. You see, shame is a strong sense of being uniquely and hopelessly different and less than other human beings. It's a feeling of inferiority. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And no matter what I do, I can never be good enough. You see, in my family, it was more important to be a boy. And I felt that early on. Rob was saying, and Ron has felt like, you know, his parents wanted a a girl. In my family, it was more important to be a boy. I have three sisters and three brothers, I'm in the middle of seven. All of us girls ended up being tomboys because we were trying to get the approval of our father by doing boy things. But you live under a sense of shame because no matter how much I tried to do or to be a boy, I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to have that ability to be a boy. You see, sometimes that also carries over in ministry when There are systems set up that say only these people can have these places of leadership. And it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how anointed you are, there are certain standards set up that say you can't do that because of your gender or because of whatever. And that's a sense of shame that comes in and blindsides you and makes you feel inferior or less than because of it. Even when I first took this position at NIAC as the director of spiritual formation years ago, I would have male students come and make an appointment with me to let me know that they would only ever take what I said as motherly advice, because I had no business being a a woman in ministry and leadership over men, and that they would only ever take what I say. So sometimes they would walk out when I stood up to preach. And when they left, obviously I was very hurt, and and I I was like, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? He said nothing. I'm like, nothing? Are you kidding me? I want to kill him. I
1: just want to. Him. <laughs> you know?
0: And he's like, no, 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 that you're not going to, you're not going to do anything. And there are times in, in a couple of those circumstances that literally the most vehement, angry students came back. A couple days later and he said I couldn't sleep since I met with you the Lord convicted me that I was wrong and I'm sorry and I apologize and I recognize that the Lord wants me to come under your leadership and your authority you see the Lord is our vindicator the Lord knows what he's doing and sometimes shame tries to blindside you because it's evil intention is that you will not um, walk in your authority that you will not believe who he says you are and therefore walk in the gifts and call of God upon your life you see Michael Lewis in his book shame the exposed self says that shame takes place as early as 15 to 18 months old and involves a child's response to someone's nonverbal cues we are feeling shame long before you can even put words to shame Okay? He says, a glance, a tone of voice, body language, gestures, or intensity of behavior. This delivers a subtle but undeniable felt message of disapproval. And this early development part reflects how we differentiate between the emotional states of shame and guilt. From a little baby, a glance of a mom, the dad shaking his finger. And so we feel shame long before we can actually even put words to it. It is impossible to feel shame without comparing one's actions against another's standards or beliefs. Part of the the difficulty with shame is that the constant comparison. Because when we compare, you will always fall short. And it's actually your evaluation of yourself that brings in the, the damaging forces of shame in our life. Now, there are family rules that end up happening. The family rules include things like be blind. And being blind means ignore the negative things that you see that go on in this family.
1: Hmm.
0: The way the parents distort reality. Be blind to your own perceptions of things. Okay, So there's very much of just let it go, look the other way, don't notice. And just let it pass okay so that's one of the family rules of shame the second one is to be quiet now you've heard the the uh, the phrase children are to be seen and not heard right now what that means in there is that oftentimes there's quite a difference between surprises and secrets a surprise mom and dad will eventually, know and find out. So we're holding the surprise for their birthday, for Christmas, for Mother's Day, for something like that. But a secret almost always includes three people. And so the secret is usually something that is is, um, shameful and that they're trying to keep it between a perpetrator and, and someone who's being violated in order to keep the secret and keep it shameful. Now, again, the favorite motto, children should be seen and not heard, often comes to family loyalty. They're saying that what what goes on in this family stays in this family. That was my family's motto. What goes on in this family stays in this family. Right beside our house, we literally shared a driveway with the principal of our elementary school, 5th and 6th grade. He heard what went on in our family, and he never, ever said a word, would never dream of confronting my dad, and just kind of let it pass. He took the be quiet role with the shame because he felt he didn't know what to do with it. Well now, he should be a mandatory reporter, but back then, again, what went on in a family was that family's business. But the, fruit, the way to break free from shame oftentimes is to bring it into the light and to no longer allow the shamefulness and the quietness continue to rule. Rule number three, be numb. Be numb. Oftentimes what that means is simply don't feel what you don't see and you don't talk about in your wanted one and two. So oftentimes a response to someone who has experienced a lot of shame, Well, how do you feel about this? What do you think about that? The classic answer, I don't know. I don't know. Because they've learned to read the situation and let the most powerful person, or let the abuser, win, so to speak. So they stopped having their opinion to keep that wrath or anger from coming at them. And so oftentimes, they're simple responses I don't know and again a loving thing to do in communities to say it's alright I'll wait while you think about it and you can give an answer and see in small groups even sometimes when we have um, spiritual formation groups Ron and I teach an upper level class called personal spiritual formation it's a three hour class Two, the first two hours are lecture and the, set, the third hour is a we divide up all the class into spiritual formation groups with a director, an assistant director, and then there's about five or six students in each one. And they are to process the topics that we talked about during the, that day and then brief journal and all sorts of things. People's classic answer, I don't know, meaning quit asking me and go to the next person. And okay? I don't do that. That's not me. That's not my style. Folks, you will never get free if you never talk about what really needs to be talked about if you do not bring it into the light, and that's why speaking out breaks shame. Just simply saying what it is that you're struggling with, even even to just say what it is, diminishes its effect and disarms and dismantles its power in your life and in your mind. Because the enemy likes to come and to twist and to attach lies to what you've always felt, that you are less than, or inferior. And so, by speaking it out, is also a way of bringing freedom. And so the enemy tries to keep us blind, keep us quiet, and keep us numb. The next one is to be careful. To be careful. The reason he wants us to be careful, in essence, is what you're saying is, listen, you can't trust anyone. I don't. We don't need help in this family, and it's it's a very distrusting attitude. I can do it myself. We can do it ourselves. We Don't take outside help. And so again, it's another rule that keeps us isolated. You see, you know, even in a sometimes even in abusive families, even though everyone is experiencing something in a certain way, they still don't even talk about it between brothers and sisters. It's almost like, well, I'm glad it's not, you know, I'm not getting the attention, so praise God, you know, you're the one, and, and, but we never talk about it. We never have come to a solution. We never try to do anything to move it forward. And so oftentimes that being careful, again, suffering silence alone. You know you shouldn't have done that, and actually we take on almost the role of the abuser as well, just being grateful that we aren't the ones having to deal with it ourselves. And then the last rule rule, is to be good. Be good, meaning be perfect. Do everything I say, act exactly as I want you to act, keep your mouth shut when you're supposed to keep your mouth shut, say only good things when when you talk about this family, and then do not expose the underpinnings of really what's happening. And so, again, these are ways in which we are trapped and it binds us with very difficult things that happen. A good child never inconveniences parents. They never embarrass or disappoint parents. See, in my family, in, in different families, there's actually um, that withholding of love when you acted wrong. And see, that withholding of love is what got to do the right thing. But that's just shame. And some people use shame now as a motivator. You better get out of bed, you fat slug, or you're gonna, you know, just gain weight and all this. And you use shame to motivate yourself to exercise or to stop eating right or something like that. It's still shame and it's still negative and it's still very hurtful. And it's negative self-talk. And so, even years ago, when the Lord started bringing this up, I'd like, Lord, I wouldn't even know how to talk to myself otherwise. It was like, well, how about... You want to be healthy, that's why you're getting out of bed to go take a run. Maybe you're choosing to do this, and that's why you're going to do it. And it really was a re, that's why Romans 12 too, says to renew your mind with the negative self-talk and things that you've been told and that you begin to tell yourself after a while that you don't need someone else saying it, you're the one now that's taking on those messages and internalize them yourself. So, there's a need for protective illusions, the refusal of children to characterize their parents as bad and by the intensity of their devotion to mothers and fathers who were both neglectful and abusive, children who would not accuse the worst parents of bad behavior would easily accuse themselves of being bad children instead. That's straight from a book on um, children of alcoholics. But it's interesting how even sometimes, too, when we talk about the need for grieving our losses and things that have happened in our life that we need to bring to the surface and just admit they were hurtful, they were painful, they disappointed us. See, that's why disappointment is also a part of grieving, but it feels disloyal if you say, well, I was hurt by my parents because they're great people. They love Jesus but it still hurt you, (laughs) and so it's okay, again, to talk about it and bring it into the light. These children feel safer being the bad ones rather than facing the terror of acknowledging that their parents could choose to be bad no matter what the children did or didn't do. And again, this is why it's difficult to acknowledge what they're hurting when it does come to grieving properly. Okay so that's just kind of a background of all of the things behind it now i want to show you a a pain cycle a shame cycle that was very very helpful to me just i found it well i made it up actually this fall but um in one of the books i was reading i thought you know this if i could visualize this because i'm a visual learner i think this might be helpful so here's what happens when we have a shame cycle something happens to us and we feel shame okay we feel inferior feel less than, we feel taken advantage of, we feel hurt in some capacity, okay? <coughs> then, okay, that's the word judgment, <laughs> then judgment, we either speak it to ourselves through negative self-talk, or, again, an abusive person is calling us names, telling us we're stupid, you shouldn't know better than that, you crazy idiot, whatever, and then so judgment is cast on you for whatever it is you have done, okay? Then as a result of that, again, you want to hide. And you go into hiding, you withdraw, you go to your room, you go to uh, other other games or whatever, so there's a hiding sense. And with that then comes a disconnection. Now you either, you both disconnect in your own mind, okay, through addictions, or games or pornography or, or reading or exercise or whatever it is so there's a disconnection purposely for yourself to not want to have you go on your phone you start you know, browsing Instagram social media all that kind of stuff to disconnect from that feeling of pain mm. of hurt but then there's also a disconnection from the, those that you love tremendous disconnection from those you love those who would speak truth to you because you feel that shame and that, oh, I disappointed them. Oh, I was leading to my husband again. And so you withdraw yet again and disconnect from the very ones who can speak truth and speak life and speak hope and speak healing to you, okay? Again, which only then reinforces your isolation. And then that completes the cycle again and you feel bad, okay? Now, prolonged stages of of shame can lead to either rage or depression depression goes inward and you take it all on yourself and you go through this cycle time and time again but you all you just take it yourself rage goes outward to someone else and there's usually a blaming there's usually someone purposeful that you can be mad at and there's a good reason sometimes actually activists This is helpful for them to get their rage out on someone else and to fight for a cause or to fight for a purpose. It's also not uncommon for people who are full of anger and rage and shame to be good athletes. Because there's an excuse there's a place where you can be aggressive, where you can, you know, go after that person, you can do whatever in the name of sports and competition. And so so this shame cycle is very, very important. Now, let's look for just a minute at how this came at the Garden of Eden. God said very specifically, don't eat of this tree for the knowledge of good and evil. Because then you do, you will surely die. As soon as they ate, they have that emotion of shame. or oh We're bad. We did what God told us not to do. And they feel the judgment, right? And then they go and hide. And because they, they hid and then God came to them, they disconnected from one another, and that's where the blame and the turning on one another and the blame shifting started right there, against one another, because they felt the shame. So they disconnected from themselves, they disconnected from one another, they disconnected from God, which again, reinforced their isolation, they had be gone from the garden, and there again, your cycle of shame is complete, okay? Now, the thing that's interesting is that you can't get out of this, praise God, okay? So you don't have to live in the shame just going round and round and round again. So here's what this looks like. Well, before, I, before that, we become like that which we behold. We become like that which we behold. So what are you looking at? What do you spend your time focusing on? Where do you put your attention? You'll become like that which you're looking at. Okay. So when it says in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll become like Jesus. Even with all of these these areas that are obstacles to our intimacy, We're not focusing and spending all of our time on shame, on fear, on lies, on those kind of things in a negative way. We need to be aware of them, though, because they are blocking us. They're blocking us from freedom. They're blocking us from hope. They're blocking us from from what God intends for us to walk in our destiny and to bring that to other people. We become like that which we behold, and so we need to behold the beauty of Jesus. And it's in the place, actually, of silence, solitude, and stillness, where there is a feeling of safety in the presence of the Lord, which he allows what's really there to come up. You see, if I were to, okay, you guys have lots of lakes and stuff around here, and fishing and all that kind of stuff, so if you were to go to a pond or a, or a lake that doesn't get a lot of action. And you threw a a penny in or threw a quarter in or something, it might take a while to get to the bottom. And because it's not used that much, it would hit and the silt (laughs) would, you know, and then there would be a reaction, and then blip up the surface. Okay? Didn't seem like that much was happening. When we welcome the presence of the Lord into our lives to go deep, we're saying, God, cut off my roots of fear, cut off my roots of shame. I want you to do everything you need to do. He is doing such a deep work that on the surface, you are not even fully aware of how much he's actually doing inside of you, which is why you're gonna number one, keep saying yes to him, and number two, keep showing up in the stillness and in the silence. You see in Psalms 46.10 when it says, be still and know that I am God. Now, if I were to ask a lot of you in the room, and say, you know, sometimes it's interesting, but the, the most popular places that people hear the Lord are in the shower and in the car driving, okay? Now, those are the two. But you're not still. You're silent, but you're doing something else. I propose that you come in your favorite place, I'm mean, go ahead and get coffee, have a nice chair, a nice view, a candle, whatever you want, but very intentionally and with alertness sit still.
1: Because
0: in that stillness, everything that's going on inside you that's stirred up is going to drive you crazy. That's why you distract yourself when you're on. And number two, people don't run to the silence. Because they don't, number one, they're afraid of what God will say. Or worse, they're afraid of what he might not say. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: See, they're afraid he might not come. They're afraid he might be disappointed. But just the opposite is true. When we make room for the Lord, he loves to come and to be with us. He says, be still and know that I am God. That word in the Hebrew means intimately experience that I am God. David Benner says in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, there's no way that you can draw near to an awesome God and not be aware of how you yourself need to change and develop and grow. Because we're made in his image and when we draw near to love, our flaws are exposed, but not to make us feel bad. They're only exposed, again, so he can remove them as obstacles into our, in, of, of our intimacy so that we can really be close and have the depth of relationship that he wants us to have. But it comes in the stillness. So I want to challenge you in the midst of this to draw near the quiet. You see, Bob Sorge has this awesome quote in his book, Secrets of the Secret Place, and he's going on that, listen, not every single time you go into the presence of the Lord, it's going to be this wow experience and, and all these kinds of things. He was frankly, it's just the opposite. Sometimes I go and I don't hear anything, and it's dry, and it's dull, and it's boring, but I keep showing up, showing up, showing up, because one of these times, and oh, you know what that's like when all heaven comes down, you feel the presence of the Lord. And that I want the Lord to know that I will wait as long as it takes so that when he comes, I am found listening. Mm-hmm. Friends, that is the place you're in. When you come into the presence of the Lord in the stillness and in the quiet to intimately experience that he is God, he knows you better than everyone else. He knows what is troubling you. He knows what concerns you. He knows what needs to be spoken to your heart in truth to challenge you. He knows what you're hiding. And it's in that place that he says, will you let me have that? Will you let me touch that in your life? Will you allow me to take that from you so you can experience what you long to in freedom and intimacy? So, we break the shame through our self awareness. When we come into the presence of the Lord in the space, we're silent and we wait. You see, unfortunately, technology and iPhones are going against the very things which I believe God has set up for us to be people of. Solitude, silence, and stillness. Mm -hmm. Because we have something attached to us that sometimes we even get phantom rings or numbers or whatever that we open. It's like, oh I could have sworn I I heard I felt that. You know, whatever. Put that thing away and come into the presence of the Lord to go, Father. What do you say? What do you want to say to me right now? Listen, he loves to be asked because he loves to give you what you need. And so when we come into that place and ask him, he will surely tell us that sometimes you gotta work for it. And what that means is in Psalm 25, 14, it says, the Lord confides in those who fear him mm-hmm. and makes his covenant known to them. Why does the Lord need to confide in anyone? He doesn't. He's an omniscient, all powerful, almighty God. He doesn't need to confide in anyone. But again, He made us for love and intimacy. He made us in wanting to share the secrets of His heart with us. He wants to fulfill His purposes through us. And so He wants us to know what is on His heart. And so it's in the secret place. It's in the place of waiting. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. You see, I think it takes more courage to wait for him to show up than it does to just go set a plan and go activate it. You see, because in the presence of the Lord, in that place of waiting, breakthrough is revealed in his presence. And in the same way, you're not just going to share your heart with anyone that, that comes along. You happen to sit down with them and go, okay, we're breaking up into teams of three now, we're going to share our heart. You still want to know that person for you to share your heart with them, right? And know that they're not going to blab it to everybody else or they're going to get back to their care. See, the Lord does the same thing. If you really want to know the heart of the Father, then you keep showing up to hear the heart of the Father and that you will wait until he comes. That's why the Luke 18 persistent widow. she kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. Why? Because she was a nag no. Because she knew the judge the would open the door. She knew who she was asking for her request. Folks, we're coming to the living God who wants to let us in on what is on his heart. Not only for us, but for the rest of of the people that we'll encounter in our marriage, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our church. And so we need to be aware of what's going on inside of us. And the best place for you to figure that out is in the secret place, is in the quiet. But all hell is going to break loose against you to never get there. The enemy will do whatever he can to distract you from getting there. Because he knows if you get there, you will receive the authority. You already have authority as sons and daughters. But once you believe that authority and then begin to walk in that authority, he knows he's a defeated foe. And so he's gonna keep you from hearing, keep you from believing it, keep you from acting on it, because he knows he's defeated. See, breakthrough is revealed in the presence of the Lord. But then it's sealed by the strategy of God as well. So, in the secret place is where you receive, reveal, you you receive the strategy of God for what you're supposed to do. See, when we first planted our church in Reading, people used to call us all the time and say, "Ron, you know, how do I go about getting a warehouse?" It's like, what? What are you talking about? We're gonna plant a church. So, how do we go about getting a warehouse? It's like, I'm still not following. Well, you guys planted a church and you're in a warehouse, so how do we get a warehouse? I was like, no, 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 we're in a warehouse because that was what was available the cheapest, and we had a deal and all blah it. it was, you need to get on your face before God. Where are you? What is available in your place, in your region? What is God opening up for you And that's what you're supposed to do there? See, too many of us are, are looking, I think it's, all, it's wonderful to have resources and we look all over the place for the best resources But breakthrough is sealed by the strategy of God, and the strategy of God is given in the secret place in prayer and listening and seeking his face. That's where you get the strategy for what you're to do. Yes, those other things will be good, but that's where the strategy comes. And then lastly, breakthrough is activated by obedience. It's activated by obedience. Come out from the secret place and do what he's calling you to do. So we start with self-awareness then we move from not judgment but to acceptance we recognize that who i am as a beloved daughter of the king is enough you see the message of shame says you aren't enough you are bad but the message of the king says you are completely enough i love you as you are in Mark 1, when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, the Spirit descended on him up as of like a dove, and the Father said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well-pleased. You see, that is the message that combats shame every single time. You are my daughter. You are my son. Identity. Acceptance. You are the one I love. Affection with you I am well pleased affirmation that is the message of grace that we believe the father that we are loved as sons and daughters and that we simply are pleased and that nothing we can do can separate us from him acceptance is the next one then we move to living in the light rather than hiding no we're gonna live in the light says in first john if you live in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another with one another and so we're not going to hide and withdraw we're going to come straight into the light and again allow in the confession of our sins it says confess your sins to one another what that you may be healed see speaking it out diminishes its power in your mind and in your hold and in your will And then it allows the light of God to come in and bring healing. Then we connect. Again, disconnected before, shame disconnects. Breaking the shame and the the cycle of grace connects us. We connect with ourselves and recognize we need a savior. That's why we need a healer. That's why we need Jesus. And then we connect with those who love us. And we, we speak it out to them again, in, in, what, in the way that it's needed for our lives. Just a few weeks ago, Ron was away for a while, and I was dealing with shame, and he came home, and I had been journaling every single day, and I had this long list of things I couldn't wait to share with him. When I did, you know, he listened, and it was really good, and I, I guess I was expecting much more of this breakthrough moment or something like that, but what I realized was like my, my simply reading my journal to him totally diminished those areas of my life in a very, very powerful way. I needed to save them. I needed to say I am struggling with jealousy and envy in my heart. The more I go after this shame, I feel like the more trapped that gets stirred up in me and it's so ugly what's in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You see, the enemy then wants to get you to give up. There's two things he always wants us to do, to give up or shut up. Because he knows if he can get you to give up, he will have won, because he knows that if you embrace who you are as a son or daughter, you actually stand in that and operate in your gifting. He is a defeated foe, and so he tries to get you to give up by lying, tormenting, accusing, stealing, killing, destroying you. He's very much at work. But the second thing he tries to do is to get you to shut up because he knows that by you confessing your sins, where it says in James, confess your sin to one another, that you may be healed. He knows that when you cry out in repentance to the Lord, the Lord forgives your sin. And you say, well, why does, you know, God knows everything in it. anyway. Why do I have to say it? You have to say it because it does something in you. It does something in you. That's why. And you need to say it to someone else to bring it into the light, to have a place of accountability there. So it's not just enough, I, God knows, and that's good enough No, Now I'm accountable to my husband. And very lovingly, and not rubbing it in my face, when I do it again, and he doesn't give me this look that I feel shame over, he simply loves me, and I know. And I'm like, oh, I just did it again, didn't I? I just <coughs> did it again, not I? I just whatever again, didn't. That breaks the pattern, the old pattern of disconnection by connecting and saying no. With you, as my accountability partner, we're going to go after this and allow the power of God to come into it. And as a result then, we have support of community. You see, all of us need community. We were not meant to walk this journey alone. We were meant to be together in community walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and there's no more powerful place that other people go you know you know that church where they they they're honest about what they actually struggle with and then they just kind of love you through it they don't really preach it and they just love you through it and they give you helpful things and they point to jesus and walk alongside you yeah that's the church i want to go to okay And so this is the way of breaking it. I'm calling this the cycle of grace to break off shame. Self-awareness, acceptance, we live in the light, we connect, and we have the support of community. Now in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. (laughs) And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, when the veil is taken away, again we become like that which we behold. We contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. That word "transformed" in Greek is the word "metamorpho," meaning from the inside and out. Because we are staring in the face of Jesus and we contemplate his glory, we are being changed from the inside out. That the power of God is coming and as a result of that, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. We don't make it sound better than it is. Be honest with the ugliness of your sin. And nor do we distort the word of God but by setting forth the truth plainly. So, I wrote a prayer to announce shame. Now, this prayer, you think you could just say it and be done and that's it? Great, thanks, got shame down. No, this, this is gonna take work one of those soul care things that's actually going to take quite some time if you really want it and want to be free from it. In Jesus' name, I break the cycle of shame whereby I cast judgment on myself by. And then you list how you have judged yourself or participated in negative self-talk. I hide by and you list the ways in which you hide. I watch TV. I binge on Netflix. I go to the refrigerator and look for more food. I exercise and go on long runs. How do you hide? I disconnect in my mind through, and then you list the distractions or the numbing agents, as well as from others which reinforce my isolation. And I choose to bring my shame into the light and ask for help. Now, in essence, we just break through the cycle. You are going to need to sit with this cycle, if you want to be free from shame, and ask the Spirit of God, and so in an ongoing way, I encourage this to be part of your soul care and part of your devotions, I don't know how you do it, for me, like I spent probably a month or more on this, just this, Father. Would you show me, and again, I'm not like spending all my attention there, but I'm asking the Spirit of God to bring to my awareness, remember that was the breaking, bring to my awareness, ways in which I judge myself or negative self-talk. Once you ask the Spirit of God to make you aware of that, you do be amazed at of the kinds of things you say to yourself. And when you hear them, just jot them down. Make a list. Just jot them down. Okay? so it, it's going to happen all the time in the car, whatever. You can do it on the phone in your memos, since you're your phone with you all the time. Mm-hmm. So do it in the notes section, okay? Or do a voice memo. Mm-hmm. List those ways that you cast judgment on yourself, or even sometimes on others. Sarcasm is a big one. Oh wow, idiot! That's so stupid. I can't believe you said that. Right? That's judgment, really. I think it's funny, but it's hurtful. How do you hide? Allow the Spirit of God to show you the way that you hide. Because all all of this is so subtle and so accepted, we don't think of it anymore as hiding. What? I don't hide. I'm, I'm honest. No, you hide. Why? Again, reading, exercising, all those kinds of things. Let the Spirit of God show you how you hide. And that's why it's different for every one of us, and that's why we have to listen to the Lord to show us. How do you disconnect? Disconnecting your own mind, disconnect from those you love okay so once you have all of those again that's why I'm saying give yourself some time to do that then you can go back and go through each one in the prayer of renunciation you see that's why I love that 2nd Corinthians 3 we have renounced secret and shameful ways these are subtle ways in which the enemy has a place in my life that I didn't even know it Oh, no, he is not getting away with that.
1: Ways that he's
0: had place in our marriage. No, he's not getting away with that. Place between us and our children. No, he's not getting away from that. And especially in our church, in the way that we love, or the way that we serve people. No, he's not going to get away with that. We are renouncing secret and shameful ways by bringing them into the light, but we have to be honest about what's really there. So I challenge you, will you be honest and then talk about it, okay? Because it loses its grip. Only when it's secret does it become shameful then. And we don't want anyone to know because it makes us feel bad. No, that's why we need a savior. That's why we need a healer. And that's why we need him so desperately in our lives. Then, I want to replace the shame with something good. See the prayer continues. Father, your word says in Psalm 34 that those who look to you are radiant, their faces are never covered in shame. Jesus, I look to you today, recognizing that you bore all my guilt and shame on the cross, and I receive your sacrificial gift of love and acceptance of who you say I am as your beloved daughter or son, and I choose to walk in the light, connect with others, and live in honesty within my community of believers. You see, if we're serious about this, our staff meetings, our, our places in our home become places of confession. Yep, but no, he's not gonna get in grip in my life. I don't want that, I'm announcing secret and shameful ways and I'm replacing it with the truth. I'm replacing it with what God says. And so even as you go through Lord, I look to you today. You say those who look to you are radiant, their faces are never covered in shame. I'm feeling shame right now, but I renounce its hold on my life that I am less than. I renounce its hold on my life to keep me silent, because I believe that there are things that you have set for me to do before the foundations of the earth. That you said I am your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good words which you prepared in advance for me to do. So God, by faith, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna do those works without shame, without apology, without trying to hide, without trying to let other people not know, I trust you, I look to you, I will do everything you've called me to do, and I will not back down, I will not give up, and I will not shut up. And shame has no place to hold onto in our lives. Folks, it's a beautiful thing. So I challenge you again, take some time. Let these places, the Lord, bring them to your memory so that you can renounce that once and for all and you can replace it with
1: truth. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness to us.